Hi there, I'm Eric Wordweaver Shervin, Gothi of the Ridgar Folk here in East Texas, and I'd like to welcome you to The Raven's Call. This is a show where I ramble on about different heathen-related subjects, just kind of whatever strikes my fancy, sets my mind on fire at the time. Big UPG warning at the beginning of the episode, like always. Uh, this is just the view of one lone heathen, one Gothi here in East Texas, and uh, this is how I view the world. And these videos are not meant to be the end-all be-all on anything, just simply conversation starters. So please take them as they are. Um, just hopes to get conversations going, maybe think outside the box a little bit, uh, re-examine some things, maybe add some context to some stuff, explore some areas that maybe you hadn't explored before. So anyway, with all that, well, my contact information is down below. You guys know the drill. Uh, Join the Facebook community, that's where most of the conversation goes on. I do get a lot of uh, my viewer requests, either from the Facebook group or from direct email, and uh, I'm always looking for those, always looking forward to working on those. And uh, I, I get a lot of my show ideas from viewer submissions, so please, guys, keep writing in. I will keep adding them to my list and ticking through them as I go along. If I don't get to yours right away, understand that it may be something that... Uh, I need to be in the right frame of mind to answer, or I may be going through a backlog of other questions before I get to that one. Uh, so don't get disheartened if you don't see it pop up on here. Uh, feel free to you know, tag me with a reminder on it uh, so that I don't lose it in the mix. So anyway, without any further ado, I suppose we'll go ahead and jump into today's subject. Now, today's subject is a viewer write-in. This is from Alexander, and Alexander wrote in asking about a question that is uh, kind of a difficult one to answer satisfactorily, uh, simply because of varying viewpoints. The question is, how does one work with multiple pantheons or multiple tribes of gods in, uh, in an integrated fashion? And the answer to that question is both simple and complex, because there's two answers depending on your particular approach. One answer is you don't, the other is uh, it's easy. So it just entirely depends on your approach. And I hope as we go along with this, you guys will understand kind of what I mean by this. Um, so let's start off, let's, let's preface this all with, uh, you guys have heard me talk before about hard polytheism versus soft polytheism. Now soft polytheism means that you believe in multiple gods, but you believe of them as an aspect of um, some larger divinity. Uh, one of the modern representations of this that I've come across is seeing all of the disparate gods and goddesses as extensions of a female and a male uh, deity power. Uh, the goddess and the god. A lot of neo-pagans will fall into this category, feeling like the individual gods and goddesses that they are worshipping are simply aspects of the masculine and, divin and the feminine divinity. And even in this, most of the time, that's actually monotheistic in approach because these two this false dichotomy that is created is not actually two separate entities, but rather the masculine force and feminine force of a singular deity concept. Not to disparage in any way, shape, form, or fashion, just simply saying when you boil it down to its base units, uh, that's, that's about where it shakes out, um, typically, not for everybody. And that's true of most anything that I do on the channel. These are not, especially the overarching things, they're not applicable to all elements within a demographic. Uh, I'm big on hearth cult and tribal differences, and uh, I, I very much embrace those. So, under the concept of the aspects of divinity, I suppose it would ultimately be uh, pretty easy to work with multiple 
deities and multiple pantheons because you just simply see them as extensions of your prime deity. Uh, that is not my approach. I am a hard polytheist. Hard polytheists believe that each of the gods are indeed their own separate entities uh, with their own separate senses of self, personalities, beings. And I am I'm hard set in this. I very, very much believe that, you know, Odin is Odin and Thor is Thor. I do not see Thor as an aspect of Odin, though there may be some over oh some 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 blending of responsibilities and purviews. Um I simply just do not see them as the same entity. Uh, that's just simply my approach to things, and that's that's what I would call a hard polytheistic approach. Now, being a hard polytheist, there are still different approaches to how you see worldview. There is the approach that the pantheon that you are associated with, the one that you worship, the one that you are in a relationship with, is the only pantheon, and that you are you know, this is your worldview. These gods created the world and everything and everyone in it. And as a result, they are the gods. Some people will have issues with this because they feel like they need to be considerate of others and acknowledge the existence of their gods and goddesses. You actually don't have to be. Your personal beliefs are your personal beliefs. It doesn't matter what anyone else believes. One of the great lines that I've heard... Uh, and actually, I think this was in relation to a Christian thing, actually, from a movie. Uh, the thing about faith is that, uh, you know, someone says, you know, I don't believe that. And well, the, thing, and he, the reply is, well, the thing about my faith is it doesn't require you to. Uh, it doesn't matter what anyone else believes. It only matters what you believe. That is, that is the essence, the crux of the situation. So I don't necessarily feel like it's absolutely necessary on a personal level to feel the obligation to acknowledge the existence of other deities and other pantheons. Uh, it depends on your personal view. If you have a worldview wherein you see the existence of other gods and simply choose to align yourself with a particular pantheon, then that's kind of the playing field that we're going to be working in as far as, uh, with any logical discussion, you have to make certain assumptions for the groundwork of the conversation to even exist. And that's an assumption that we're going to make. We're going to operate from the basis of multiple pantheons of deities actually exist and that uh, heathens just happen to lend credence to or lend their hat to, you know, pledge their troth to this tribe of gods, uh, the Aesir. And in doing so, we're going to kind of operate from that logical basis. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of the other views. I'm actually, my, my own personal views are complicated, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, ultimately speaking, if you're going to operate from this point of view, that the Aesir are a tribe of gods to whom we pledge our troth, and that these other tribes of gods exist, then it is possible for an individual to have divided loyalties as a result. And I cannot in any way, shape, form, or fashion disparage that because we are a hodgepodge of ancestries, of belief structures, of understanding. Human beings are complicated creatures. So I can't necessarily discredit anyone else's culture, and I wouldn't even dream of doing so. Uh, it's not, not in my nature. 
So with that, what do you do with an individual who, say, uh, worships the Aesir, but also has ties to, say, the Celtic gods and goddesses, who also has ties to, uh, say, you know, uh, others in mainland Europe or Asia or South America or Africa? Uh, how do you approach these things? And before I get off on this, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to Alexander for writing in the question. I got started off on all this and didn't even, I think, I don't think I attributed it to him. But anyway, uh, Alexander, thank you for writing this in. I very much appreciate it. On with the question. Now, the basic practice of it, the praxis element, is where the more practical elements come in. We're going to talk a little bit about the more meta and theoretical elements first and then get into the praxis, practical elements of it. Now, from a kind of overarching meta approach, what we're looking at is that the gods themselves are comprised of different tribes. Say you're working with the Egyptian gods and goddesses, uh, they would constitute one tribe as the Aesir would constitute a tribe, the Greek gods and goddesses would constitute a tribe, uh, and so on and so on. The idea here is that each of these individual structures is sovereign into themselves, into their own, and they have influence over their followers. And it is up to an individual to whom they pledge their troth. If you're going to operate from this particular point of approach, it's very much akin to working with multiple tribes amongst humans. So we're going to look at things from a tribal basis. Again, tribal heathens, so I think of things in terms of tribe, which when you look at things from a sociological standpoint, human beings operate from a basis of tribe. We form tribes in any social structure that we are in. It is, some will say it's cliquish or it's exclusionary. No, it's, it's just kind of naturally ingrained in us that we operate from a tribal basis. Um, it's pack dynamics, it's tribe, it's family. We create social units and we operate from those social units and those social units interact with each other. It's just kind of how the human brain works. So when dealing with other tribes, you have your tribe to whom you belong and then you've got uh, alliances, allegiances, friendships, opposition, enemies. Uh, the, you have these multiple relationships with different tribes depending on your particular history and influences. So if you have your tribe and you are wanting to maintain good relationship with you know tribe we'll have tribe A here and then you want to keep good relationship with tribe B and then you want to keep good relationships with tribe C, what you're going to do is you're going to spend some dedicated time keeping that relationship with tribe A. You're going to do things with tribe A that is appropriate to the relationship that you have established between the two tribes. And then separately, you're going to go over here and you're going to establish with tribe C and you are going to kind of forge that connection there. If the two tribes are friendly, you may be able to do some stuff with both B and C and uh, do a group interaction kind of thing. That's going to depend heavily on how well B and C play together and whether or not the types of relationship that you have with each of those is something that gels well. Now it's an oversimplification to look at it from this point of view because we're dealing with human tribes at this point where we're all kind of on even keel. It's a different thing entirely when you're dealing with the gods and goddesses, but the basic template can be transposed for 
kind of for broad stroke approach kind of idea. So when you're dealing with multiple pantheons of gods, which is not something I do, all right, I want to preface this with I am Aesir all the way. I, I, I don't work with any other pantheons. I don't, uh, I, I don't mix my trove. My trove is pledged to the Aesir. Those are my gods and that is my interaction. That doesn't mean I don't understand the methodology and philosophy behind working with multiple pantheons. Because if you're going to be a polytheist who works with multiple gods, the basic idea is you can understand the process of working with multiple tribes as an extension thereof. So just putting that out there. So if you are going to work with multiple pantheons, the number one thing that I can give as a recommendation is understanding the nature of the pantheons with whom you work and understanding their approach, their personality, as it were, uh, their, uh, their, their tribal culture. Because certain tribes are not necessarily going to gel with other tribes. It, it's kind of like working with the Vaitir. Uh, the Vaitir are wholly other from us. They don't necessarily operate on the same logical basis or in the same kind of thought process uh, as humans. So we end up working with them from where they are. Uh, in psychology, we would do a lot of meeting people where they're at. That was one of the basics of therapy, is you cannot bring them to where you are developmentally or uh, as far as uh, integration and things like that goes. You have to first meet them where they are and then help them along the path. There's a lot of meeting them where they are when we're dealing with like the Vaitir. We have to go and deal with them in their style of interaction in a playing field in which they are comfortable and then put forth the effort to establish a relationship and then foster that relationship over time. Similar with the gods, when you're doing ritual with the gods and goddesses, you are going on their turf. You are interacting in a manner that works with them. You're meeting them where they're at. Now the gods will kind of meet us halfway as far as ritual goes, thusly the establishment of sacred space and whatnot. The understanding how they interact, what they value, what their approach is, is important. It would be inappropriate to try and work with the, like say the Aesir, who we see largely as personified in, in a hum, humanoid approach. Uh, we see them as more human in style and interaction. And part of that's just simply because of how we interpret what they have provided for us and a need to apply uh, homogeneity to our logic and to kind of smooth over some of the cognitive dissonance that comes from the holy other. And so it's very, very common to interact with the gods and goddesses of any pantheon and see more of a human approach. Even those that work with animalistic type of deities, say like Native American approach, which most of the gods and goddesses take a very strong uh, animal aspect. Um, keeping in mind, I'm not super familiar with Native American belief, only tangentially aware and have done some light research into the subject, speaking with some experts on it, but I am I'm by no means well-versed in their approach to things. I do know that there is some shape-shifting and anthropomorphing that occurs 
with their deities. And so Coyote, for example, who is one of the most well-known, uh, is known to appear both as Coyote and as a humanoid, depending on the situation. Uh, our gods, in and of themselves, have exhibited shape-shifting capabilities, so it's entirely possible that the two could mesh. It's also entirely possible that if the pantheon that you are working with is more along the lines of, say, Alpha Vatir, that they might not gel well socially uh, with the Aesir, because they are wholly different, and being able to meet the needs of the communal relationship of both parties at the same time might be exceedingly difficult uh, simply because the interaction style with one may be so wholly different from the other that they just don't gel but then again there may be like i could totally see the norse gods the greek gods and the egyptian gods all sitting at feast together yes there are significant cultural differences and approaches uh, there would be it, it would be very much like three great tribes of an area sitting down and uh, having a feast together. There would be propriety, interactions, deference shown depending on who the host is, etc., etc., etc. And it's a it, it's a, a kind of a social dance, a balance of things, and it works. It, it can totally jive. Um, having dinner with a local tribe and a pack of wild wolves that you've been working with at the same time might not be the same kind of thing because usually like if you're going to be working with an animal reserve and you're going to be working with a pack of wild wolves you're going to be out in the wild with them and meeting them on their terms and uh, interacting with them in a manner to which they are accustomed and the trying to do that while still trying to maintain a relationship with this other tribe might not jive. It depends. It could still. It, it's hard to say. It's a case-by-case -case basis, and it requires great introspection and some deep thought on the individual who is hosting said event, because that's essentially what you're doing in this when you're doing a ritual. If you're trying to do a ritual with multiple pantheons, you are essentially hosting these separate pantheons in a singular event. You are bringing them to table at your home, and as a good host, it behooves you to meet the needs culturally of your guests. So keeping that in mind, trying to put together a ritual that encompasses multiple pantheons puts twice the work on you, actually three times the work, because it's not just you know, meeting tribe B and meeting tribe C's needs and their cultural needs. It is meeting the needs of B, meeting the needs of C, and trying to maintain a balance between the two. So it's it would be perceivably very easy to slight one over the other simply because uh, of uh, comfort and familiarity with one more so than the other leading to favoritism being shown within the ritual and the other feeling lesser as a result. You wouldn't bring two great kings together and then spend all of your time speaking to one and only giving lip service to the other. It would be insulting to that secondary king. You would want to balance the two and find a common ground. So I, I see similar when dealing with gods and goddesses in that you are bringing them to table and you must show proper deference to both while simultaneously offending neither. So it's a great deal of work, but it can be done, theoretically. So in answer to your question, can you? Yeah, you, you can. 
I don't typically recommend it because the purity of being able to deal with one Pantheon at a time is, in my view, better simply because it removes a great deal of complication. And in removing the complication, it reduces your opportunity of offending either party. Pardon the rain setting in. I know it's going to be kind of hard to hear, but I got to film when I can. And we're in storm season in East Texas, so hopefully it won't get thundery. But nonetheless, I recommend working with the Pantheons wholly separate and hosting ritual for each one independently of the other. This is entirely up to the individual. And if you choose to build a ritual that includes both, then pay attention to the details. Make sure that you are going out of your way to balance things so that proper deference and proper appreciation is shown to each party that's brought to the table. Now, from a practical standpoint, we're going to look at some of the praxis elements. How does one incorporate this? Um, one of the questions was altar space. How does one deal with altar space in this kind of uh, blended setting? And my recommendation is that altar spaces are most effective when they are dedicated singularly, simply because the energies that are put there are then pure and simple. I find that simplifying is best in most cases as opposed to overly complicating things. It's, it, again, it reduces the amount of room for error, as it were. It also strengthens the connection with the individual party involved if you have a dedicated line to them as opposed to a line that switches back and forth between one and the other. Now in modern days, it's very difficult to have space enough for one altar, let alone multiples. So uh, it gets dodgy at this. It depends on a person's individual personal belief structure and what you're working with functionally. It's possible to take one singular altar space and then divide it out and create sectors, uh, quarters, that are dedicated to specific pantheons. What you're essentially doing is you're taking one altar space and making multiple altars out of said space. Uh, this cramps things to a certain extent and forces you to reduce the imprint of the individual pantheons simply to allow for space and balance. Again, I recommend balance on the, on the altar with relationship to the pantheons. But again, if you wish to show more deference to one than the other, then that becomes... It's just like if you were to seat at feast with a king. You know, the king is going to keep those that are most important to him towards the front. Uh, they're going to have special places of honor and be put in a point of uh, recognition. So it is an honor to these individuals. If you are worshiping multiple pantheons and you favor the Aesir over the others, but you still have a relationship with the others and you wish to bring them all together in a, in a ritual, then the proportion of the ritual that is dedicated to each will show that level of respect. It is possible to do this without slighting the other simply because of an, an understanding of the established relationships and how that works. If your relationship with Pantheon C is 
knowingly lesser than the relationship with Pantheon B, then it is to be expected that the presence of Pantheon B, both in the altar and in the ritual space, is going to be greater. This is appropriate in this setting because you are indicating to them that they are in a higher place amongst the pecking order of Pantheons with whom you work. Now, my personal belief is that uh, the gods and goddesses like to be the center of attention. Uh, they prefer to be dealt with solely. Um, when you're dealing with beings on such a cosmic level, uh, dividing one's attention when your attention is already infinitely more limited than theirs is... Uh, it, 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 it can get dodgy real quick as far as offending and uh, not, not properly acknowledging the pantheon with whom you're working. Uh, you have a very limited scope, and their scope is so grand that your perception of time and space are going to be wholly different. So yeah, these things are, are difficult to take into account. And so balancing those within a ritual becomes kind of a heady project. As you can see at this point, uh, this is more complicated than the simple answer would indicate. So. We're going to assume that you are trying to balance the gods and goddesses that you are working with, the different pantheons. We're going to assume that you acknowledge the existence of multiple pantheons. And we're going to assume that you are trying to maintain relationships with each of these. My number one recommendation would be to do rituals separately for each of the pantheons in order to show proper deference and to really spend some time with them. It's just like if you throw a party and you've got your friends and family there, you can spend a little bit of time with each of them, but you can't spend real good, dedicated time with any one individual without negatively impacting the amount of time that you can spend with the others. And if you've ever been to a party where you wanted to be, you know, you don't go to a party and expect to be able to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with an old friend kind of thing. You know, you expect a little bit of the, the group talk and then maybe a couple of minutes here and there where you can catch up individually. If, if the host does favor one old friend over the others, then it can be kind of grating to those individuals that are you know, just trying to get a couple of minutes with their old friends so they can visit for a bit. And if they can't get that, then they wonder why they even came. So keep those kind of things in mind as you build a ritual and uh, understand the balance of things. It's a lot easier to catch up with an old friend and have meaningful interactions when it's just you know you and the old friend hanging out it's like yeah i can come to the party i can see you for a bit while we're at the party but if i really want to work on our friendship and our relationship then i'm going to arrange some one-on-one -on -one time away from the party uh, where we can really spend some time catching up and i don't have divided attention because that's essentially what you're getting down to is how far are you dividing your attention and how are you parceling out uh, the proportion of attention that you are dividing amongst the present individuals, your guests. So when dealing with the deities, it's the same kind of thing. How much are you spending with the deities as far as you know actual ritual energies and how much are you dividing out amongst the others? And you know, that's, again, a personal call. Um, there's no one right way or wrong way to go about it. Uh, they're simply setting out what you would like to get from the ritual and from the relationship and then figuring out whether or not that is the appropriate methodology of reaching your desired goal. So, 
I would say in this instance that I do not recommend doing group ritual cross pantheon, but it can be done. And if you do it, you know, think about the imagery that you're utilizing in the ritual, um, <clears throat> sort of the cultural flair that's present. There needs to be, these are things that help you kind of dial in the signal for your connection to the sacreds. And uh, <clears throat> if you're dealing with, say, Egyptian and Norse, you're going to want to have a presence of cultural iconography, uh, cultural aesthetics that are proportionately appropriate to each of the pantheons present. You're going to want to include elements within the ritual structure itself that nod to both, because Blot to the Aesir may not necessarily mimic ritual with the Egyptian pantheon. Uh, however, the fundamentals of sacrifice are there for uh, both. Then you have to think about whether or not, you know, because you're parceling out, parceling out the energies of this sacrifice if you're dealing with multiple pantheons, are you, you know, is it better for you to give a dedicated sacrifice to this one pantheon and then another dedicated sacrifice to this one? Or can you effectively and functionally split this sacrifice between the two? That's a judgment call for you. I personally feel like the dedicated singular approach is better. Uh, but that's just my personal view. Uh, that doesn't necessarily reflect the views of anyone else. So balancing aesthetics is a, a thing in a way that you can kind of show deference. Um, it's similar to the utilization of like Norse iconography or Germanic iconography or Anglo-Saxon iconography when working with the Aesir, um, as well as, you know, like ritual garb and things like that. Uh, all of these things can kind of play into showing deference and showing appreciation and respect to the pantheon with whom you are working. So if you're working with the Norse and the Egyptian at the same time, you're going to want to have cultural elements from both present in the ritual in the appropriate proportion in order to show the appropriate amount of respect to each pantheon that is present. Um, this is not simply calling the buddies over for a visit. This is an official interaction. It's kind of like a, a state visit. Uh, this is not a simple casual interaction. This is ritual. This is, I'm not going to say political, uh, but it, it, is a, it is a big thing. It's not a small thing. You know, it's a thing, it's a big thing. So when you're doing ritual, this big thing uh, needs to be structured appropriately. So, nature of sacrifice, what you give if you're mixing uh, pantheons, like you wouldn't want to uh, sacrifice, say, cattle uh, to the gods, and then also include, say, the Hindu gods uh, without really honing in on their feeling pertaining to the sacrifice of cattle, because cattle are sacred in Hindu culture and belief. And you wouldn't want to offend the Hindu gods if you are trying to maintain a relationship with both. You would try and find a sacrifice that does blend the two well together and therefore can be split without having any detrimental effects. You're not going to offend one pantheon over the other simply because of your choice of sacrifice. Um, eh, I don't necessarily find that this kind of uh, attention to detail is necessary when dealing with, say, multiple members of the same pantheon. Uh, simply because honoring any member of their tribe is honoring the tribe as a whole. So, you know, if you're working with Thor and Sif, 
uh, as well as say Friga and Odin, uh, honoring any one of those individuals within the ritual is not going to necessarily offend the others. Like if you're sacrificing a goat for Thor, this is not necessarily going to offend the sensibilities of Friga because it's it, she gets it. it. It's her tribe, her kinfolk, her Inigar. So, but it can cross-culturally cause some issues. And that's something that you have to balance as the ritual leader as you are hosting these separate guests within this ritual space. So take your time, think it through, go through the details and look at what you're dealing with. Now, from just a nitty gritty day-to-day -day standpoint, again, proportion is kind of key. Uh, the amount of time you proportionately spend with each of the cultural bases is going to establish within your own energy structure uh, a strength and proportion uh, of energies in the whole that is your energy essence. So. Uh, if you spend a great deal of time with the Egyptian gods and goddesses and then step up to try and do ritual with the Norse or the Aesir, then you may not get the same level of result as those that give dedicated attention to the to Aesir. Um, it, it's, it's a thing, you know? Uh, it's a balancing act and not one that can easily be broken down into this is exactly how you do it. Because there's not a this is exactly how you do it. Um, there are, I mean, there's evidence of worship of multiple pantheons uh, back in the day. Like the, the Christian conversion of Northern Europe saw a lot of dual practice where uh, the people of an area may give a certain amount of respect and deference to the Christian God, but also would keep their home practices involving the old gods. Uh, simply because they do not wish to break down that particular relationship which they have spent generations cultivating. So, <clears throat> so it is a thing. It's a, it's, there's some documented evidence of these kind of things occurring. And of course you get into the nitty-gritty of is there ever, if they're doing this, are they actually engaging in the Christian belief structure and worship, or are they simply giving it lip service and their actual fealty is paid to uh, the Aesir? Uh, there's no way for us to really know without having been there at the time, but we can surmise, uh, kind of extrapolate from the data that we have uh, that there was probably a little bit of both going on and it depended on the individual so there's the thunder hail Thor uh, <clears throat> I have dealt personally with people who have worked with multiple pantheons uh, that still do and it's always kind of neat to see how they choose to integrate it most of the time what I find in those instances is they have separate altar spaces set up for the different pantheons with whom they work I have known some that mix on their singular altar uh, they mix the pantheons and the representations, but I don't, I don't personally feel like it is as effective, but they seemed fine with it. They seemed to work well with it and had found a comfort zone that worked for them. So I can't really judge on that. I just know from my own hearth and my own household, the way I run things uh, is more dedicated. Uh, it, it just is cleaner, I believe. Uh, less messy, less room for error, less room for offense. Um, but that 
you know, even my significant other, she has her approach to things, which doesn't necessarily mirror mine perfectly. Uh, there's a lot of overlap, but there's not necessarily um, a congruence on all fronts. So I try to make sure that she's got her own space, or at least try to. Uh, <laughs> modern day clutter, things like that. Um, but she, as a person, feels better when she's able to kind of mix and match and do her thing the way that she needs to. Um, but that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to share about her, her stuff. That's hers. Uh, just simply using as an example of you can blend space, but it seems to be better in some instances, I feel most instances, to do dedicated spaces. Now, you can have a singular altar space and then swap the surface for the iconography and the idols uh, between the two pantheons because this is something that's uh, definitely done in modern day because of limitations of space. You can have a multi multi-function surface that's, that functions as the surface for ritual. You know, you can have a counter space that you set up your altar on and this is where you do your stuff. Um, during the time that you are doing that, that is sacred space, that is the altar. Uh, but then you break it down and it returns to profane space. This differs, of course, from a you know, perma setup wherein you've got like a hof or you've got a room in your house where a permanent altar is set up and this is a dedicated space to this. Um, if you're going to do this, I feel it's important to probably is do the proper rituals, whatever works in your setting, to establish your connection and establish the sacred space and tie that sacred space to the pantheon that you are wanting to deal with. Because my view in this instance, if you're working from the assumption of the multiple pantheons exist and kind of coexist, is that each of them has their own sacred space and sacred time. Um, Multiplanar uh, kind of approach to things is kind of how I see the interaction of the worlds anyway. So uh, the idea that the Aesir would have their plane of existence and then, you know, the Egyptians would have theirs um, jives for me. So I don't, I don't see, you know, why they would necessarily all be in the same sacred time and sacred space. So that tells me that when I set up ritual space for the Aesir, I would want to set up and establish the connection with their sacred space. Similarly with the Egyptians, I would want to redial the phone to theirs. Think about it in like Stargate. You know, you want to dial in the address for that world versus the address for another world. So this is just kind of a basic rundown on things. Um, it can get into some more nitty gritty stuff, but I've, the bell means that I've got customers coming in and I need to run up front and handle some things. So uh, we may revisit this at another time if this is something that's of interest. I find this is more along the lines of neo-pagan versus really dedicated heathen. I find most heathens are dedicated to the Aesir or the Vanir or, well, that's really more Vana true, but still, most of the heathens I know are dedicated to the Aesir and they are more singular in their approach. Uh, that's more my approach to things too. So work with it as you can and uh, you know, understand in the comments guys that this is maybe targeted to a more specific demographic within the viewership. So, but with that, I'm gonna go ahead and sign off so I can head up front and handle some customer situations. And I thank you all for watching. Please stay tuned into the channel. Give me your feedback, give me your comments. Uh, they really mean a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for your support. Hail to you all. And as Thor sings us out, may your hearth fires burn bright. Hail. All right, let's give this a shot.
back up to a suitable distance, get the wire to hang right. Cool. All right. So we're jumping in. Um, man, it has been crazy. <laughs> but I mean, nothing new. I mean, it's still the same thing. Just working like crazy, like everybody else, just trying to make ends meet. You know how it goes. And then, uh, you know, prepping for D&D, &D, going back and reading some books, trying to catch life where I can. I uh, do a lot of catching up on what I can't do during the week, during the weekends. So uh, lots of yard work coming up in my future, it seems like. So I'm kind of, eh, it's fine. I like it. I enjoy yard work uh, when I'm not dead dog tired, which I'm doing better. As I acclimate to the schedule, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. So good things. So uh, other than that, nothing really new on the D&D front until we have our session in about two weeks. I'm looking for some cool stuff. Uh, we're hopefully going to make it through the rest of my dungeon this go around. Uh, we had a long session last time and still only made it through um, made it through about four rooms <laughs> still got a, a bit of it left and some major plot points hopefully that we're going to come to in the next session so I'm excited and uh, really looking forward to it so uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun I think but uh, not much in the way of cutting room floor stuff this time sorry guys uh, life is just pell-mell going like it is and uh, time just seems to be flying by uh, one of these days I hope I can get back to doing my East Texas heathen stuff we'll see <laughs> it's uh, been a little difficult to try and schedule with everything else going on and especially with me not having my weekends like I used to um, not being able to do stuff during the week definitely cramps your style on the weekend so anyway I guess without any further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into the episode. So thank you guys uh, for everything, and uh, hopefully next time I'll have some more fun stuff to talk about. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, we're ready in three. We're live in three, two, one. Let's jam. <laughs> 